0: Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host Dave Kale, and this is a lot of fun. Two weeks in a row, once again, it's always yes. it's always great to get a lot of film, film right at once. Yeah, and, and it makes it
1: a... much easier because we don't forget as much. Well, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little easier to remember what I said a week ago than two weeks ago.
0: There's really, there's a there's a, um, a very small chance we'll remember what we said last week, as yes. opposed to an infinitesimal chance. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um, take every little so, we can get.
0: Yeah, th- this is this is a week of uh, or this, this recording is um, simultaneously morning and celebration. Morning, because we're without our co host, Trish Lambert,
1: mm-hmm. who's traveling
0: and, uh, and without her usual equipment and unable to join. So that's very sad. But celebration because as always, we have the token professor, Corey
1: Olson, uh, with
0: me and we're celebrating a wedding
1: that's if we right. get that far, that's right. If, if we, we get, get that far, we're hoping to celebrate a wedding and a dragon. So, I mean, talk yeah. about your good days.
0: Yeah. Right. It doesn't get much better than that.
1: That's right. So we're, um. Uh, we're going we're gonna to try to get through twelve episodes 12 and 13. We've only done one episode each for the last like two or three episodes, but I'm feeling confident because one of the reasons we took so long discussing episode 11 last time is that we did a lot of episode 12 material in there, too. So um, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling good about this. Well, let me begin with uh, a few quick announcements. First, this weekend is Hobbit Day. Bilbo and Frodo's birthday is on Sunday. I will go, I said ten twenty two. Look at me. I don't even know what month I'm in. September twenty second, not October twenty second. This coming Sunday, uh, nine twenty two at four thirty p.m. Eastern time uh, is gonna. We're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna hold uh, our Hobbit Day reading. So I'm gonna do. We're also kicking off our fall fundraising campaign. Uh, so I'm gonna be. Uh, of course, thanking folks who have been supporting us uh, you know, over this past year. We had a wonderful, wonderful year uh, at Signum with the support that we received. So we'll be sort of celebrating that telling you a little bit about what's to come as we kick off our always fun fall campaign season. Uh, and then of course we're going to do some readings for Hobbit day. I'm going to do a Tolkien reading and we'll have a little discussion and we'll do some, some reading from a couple other authors as well with some other folks and have some more, uh, some more discussion. Always as, you know, as always, these readings are a little casual, more about sort of, you know, our, uh, our love and appreciation of the stories rather than, than very deep analysis. But, um, uh, but always a, always a fun time. I look forward to our Hobbit day you so.
0: Can you give us a preview of which we'll be reading?
1: Nope. It's a surprise. All right. Fair enough. It's a surprise. Uh, I, uh, I, A.K.A. I haven't chosen between a couple that I'm still <laughs> trying. I'm still I'm still like, there are a couple that I want to do, and I haven't chosen which one yet. So uh, That's right. Yeah.
0: It's a surprise. It's a surprise. For you.
1: It's like, exactly. I'll be as surprised as anybody. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so no, it's going to be, it's, uh, it's, it's, I can tell you one of the other, uh, uh,
0: uh, authors
1: that we're going to be reading is going to be from Ursula Le Guin, uh, because of course the next book in the Mythgard Academy, uh, series after we finished Sauron Defeated, which we're in the middle of right now, actually in the last third of right now. Uh, is going to be Ursula Le Guin's Wizard of Earthsea. So we're going to be, uh, 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 I think, doing some Earthsea reading and, and uh, discussion as well. So that'll that'll be fun. Anyway, so that's a little teaser about what's going to happen. Um, other announcement, uh, as we have been announcing, we are also coming closer to New England moot, our first ever moot up here in the Northeast. Uh, and that is going to be next Sunday, Sunday, September 29th, uh, in Amherst, Massachusetts. Uh, and middle moot uh, out in the Midwest are going to be located in Waterloo, Iowa this year, and this is going to be on October Saturday, October 12th. Um, both of those registration will be open very close um, uh, up to the the time of, um, uh, the time of the, you know you basically can register up through the date of the moot, uh, but if you want to make sure to get lunch, make sure you uh, you register sooner than that. Um, and we will have uh, further details on Magnolia Moot and Bay Moot; um, those are coming up soon as well. Magnolia Moot probably the end of October, and Bay Moot uh, out in the San Francisco Bay area. Um, uh, sometime uh, towards the end of November, uh, before a well, little before Thanksgiving, uh, is the idea there. Uh, so we'll see. We're, we'll we'll have uh, further details uh, released soon. And uh, another reminder that Philip Menzies is calling for singers for his film score. Uh, he's continuing to work on themes for season four. Uh, we're gonna be his. We're gonna be discussing his music in the the final session of season four, we'll be discussing (laughs) Phil's music. Um, and he would love to do some vocal tracks this year. So, uh, he's uh, calling for singers who would be interested. Uh, I believe you will be singing in either Quenya or Cinderin or possibly both. Uh, so that'll be, uh, extra fun. Uh, anyway, so if you are interested, uh, in maybe volunteering to, uh, uh, to help to sing and some of Phil's tracks, then you can uh, uh, contact him. There's contact information on the, uh, uh, the discussion boards, some film discussion boards. All right. And those are the end of our announcements. So as we go back to episode 12, so episode 11, we were divided between, we were dividing our time between Doriath and Nevrast. Basically, we're looking at Turgon and his discovery of Gondolin. And then, of course, we have Finrod, wanting to build Nargothrond, and coming to uh, Doriath and kicking off the whole chain of events which led to the engagement uh, between Galadriel and Celeborn. Now in episode 12, we're going to need to have some time elapse, uh, because by the end, by the end of the season, by episode 13, we need Gondolin and Nargothrond to be constructed, right? Those need to be finished and built. Um. So, um. Uh, sorry. I'll look at this here. Well, we also
0: we also don't want to pull a um uh a Game of Thrones late season to have it happen all in like five minutes.
1: Right. Yeah. It yeah. It convey it's, uh,
0: the passage of time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Convey the passage of time, and in particular, what's especially challenging here, or sort of especially interesting about it. On the one hand, there's there's always a challenge, right? Whenever you're trying to convey the passage of time, you know, can, can, can often be difficult. But here we have a sort of a peculiar challenge, right? Because we're trying to show the passage of time from an elvish point of view, which is quite different, obviously. Um, and it would be really cool if we could capture something of the timelessness of... Um, the elves experience. But at the same time, it's not just, it is not just timelessness, right? One of the effects of living in Middle-earth is having time have an impact on you. The elves are, are in fact impacted by time, um, and are keenly aware of being impacted by time here in Middle-earth. You know, like the air of Middle-earth affects them differently. Tolkien talks that way uh, on several occasions. Um, And since the rising of the sun, um, you know, it's sort of kicked off a whole new pattern of years. But it's not just that, well, now the sun rises and sets all the time. And so we have, you know, a uh, a shorter time period by which to measure time, right, in the, in the solar days and solar years uh, than we used to have back when we only had the stars. And we had, you know, sidereal years instead of solar years. But that's not, um, it's not just that, though it is not merely the perception of time. Time actually does sort of impact them differently. So do we have them thinking and talking about time? I mean, it's, you know, I know that exposition is your favorite solution yeah. for everything, right, Dave? You know, it's just have yeah. everybody
0: talking about it. Just have them on screen saying, boy, you know, a lot of times going by.
1: <laughs> I mean, doesn't time seem to be going faster these days? I really think it is, yeah. don't you? Yeah, I think that's totally most compelling. Actually,
0: you know what? what I I think what would work really well is if we have them haggling over construction timelines.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, if we just have them checking in and be like, I thought you said that would be done in four months. You know, that was three months ago. Yeah, yeah.
0: Turgon uh, arguing with the foreman, like, you know, like why 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 are we behind on the uh the construction of this hall well the lumber delivery was delayed and uh, boy i'm having problems problems with the suppliers
1: that's even better than pure exposition i mean that is gripping right there yeah yeah Yeah. everybody (laughs) loves loves uh you know issues with contractors right i mean that's 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 drama right there that is
0: it's It's dramatic. It's also very relatable.
1: (laughs) Very relatable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so on the one hand, the very simplest thing, right? I mean, we have one simple thing by which we can show that time has passed, and that is, we. I mean, well, Dave, as you say, the construction projects, right? In particular, Gondolin. Nargothrond is not so much help because it's caves, right? Um, So... I mean, okay, like, you know, you go into a cave and you're like, I love what you've done with the place. And, and, you know, I'm not, I don't want to underrate it. Like, there's going to be stuff that they do carvings and, you know, bridges and, and, and all sorts of things, but still actually seeing you know, because we will have the dramatic shot in episode 11, like we were planning when Turgon comes and looks down in the valley of Tum'laden for the first time, right? And he sees the, the, you know, the the hill in the middle where Gondolin is going to be built, right? So we see him looking over that and there's the empty hill and then, you know, uh, Thrandor comes down and they have their conversation and, you know, agree to work together and all that kind of thing. So we've had that, that image of like, you know, the virgin valley of Tum'laden before Gondolin was built. So you know, if we go back to Gondolin in episode 12 and there's, you know, the city walls are built and we're, we're, you know, we're seeing, you know, it's not done yet. Right. And everything is that it will be obvious that time has passed. Right. right. Um, and if we, you know, and if we, ret- if we were to return to the Valley of Tom a couple times, uh, during the episode, um, you know, even maybe two total times, right? Once to show it like in a halfway kind of state and the third to show Gondolin pretty much done. Um, then I, to me, that makes it pretty, even without any words, that makes it pretty clear that time has passed unless, you know, we're under any kind of impression that, you know, they're just kind of magicking it automatically. But I don't think so. I think, again, we can, we can show elves working on the construction. And so therefore convey the fact that this is in fact being, you know, built in like the normal way that things are built in a sense. And so, you know, you can tell if this big city now, uh, is here, then time has passed. I don't think we need to, uh, I, I don't, I don't think that we need to, to sort of overthink, uh, this really. Um, no, I don't think we need to. We can have a, so the time can come up if we want to attach numbers to give people an idea of exactly how much time has passed. um, Then, you know, we, um, we, it can naturally come up in conversation, right? I mean, especially there's going to be debates among people because not everybody, you know, not all of the Elvish leaders see eye to eye when it comes to the plans of what to do with Morgoth, right? Should we attack? Should we you know, do we think we can hold them in, you know, what's, what's going on. Um, so all we need is somebody to drop at some point, you know, like maybe near the end of the episode when like Gondolin is built or like right before we cut to the completed Gondolin or something, um, that, uh, you know, like, well, you know, we've been, we've been maintaining, you know, it's been, you know, we've been maintaining the siege now for, you know, 150 years or 200 years or whatever, since the battle. Um, I mean, it, in the context of a conversation about the siege and about their strategy, mentioning how long they've been, you know, successfully holding the, you know, the, the, the leaguer in place doesn't seem inappropriate. Right. So we can, we can actually kind of throw the readers, the, the, the viewers a bone as far as the details of the time is concerned. Um, I don't know about the timelessness though. I kind of think that timelessness, like the, that the sense of the Elvish relationship to time. I think that's my gut is my gut says that's going to have to wait until the humans show up, right? When the humans show up, we can really begin to sort of convey the difference in their whole attitude towards time. And in some ways having a lot of time go by and barely noticing, right? Like it's been one episode and like suddenly 200 years has passed. Um, that kind of is actually a little bit of an Elvish experience, right? I mean, true. um, it's it's possible, of course, that a viewer would be like, hey, wait a second, what? 150 years has passed? But, I mean, that experience itself, right, of being like, wow, I didn't realize that much time has passed. It's like, well, hey, welcome to the Elvish Outlook, my friend. That's exactly what it's like. Um, So, um, yeah, yeah. So, in fact, we should be thinking
0: about the opposite question, which is, how do we not convey the passage of time?
1: Right. Um, How
0: do we unconvey the passage of time?
1: (laughs) You mean uh, when the humans show up?
0: No, I mean like in a in a TV show, or you have human beings watching, um, but the characters on screen are timeless and don't really notice the passage of time right like how do we how do we convey that experience to human beings maybe that maybe i'm overthinking maybe it's not that hard maybe just things use they just look up one day and things have been built but how do you do that in a way that it doesn't feel like it happened overnight
1: well see that's the thing i to the elves i feel like it does feel like
0: it i guess happened it overnight. yeah so
1: so maybe it doesn't matter yeah i mean It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird because on the one hand, like, I mean, I can see the impulse for us to want to kind of jump up and down and somehow convey to the viewers, like, this isn't just us being sloppy. Like we are like making it look like time passes, you know, lots of time passes in a hurry on purpose because that's how it is with the elves. But I'm not sure that we actually need to do that. You know, I mean, it's. We open ourselves up to that criticism, right? That somebody's going to be like, oh, like that was really clumsily done. But I think, again, like next season, we're going to be talking about this a lot, right? I mean, it's going to become a big issue when the men are around. Um, and when we see how, and of course, especially, uh, we're going to be, this is going to be front and center in the whole plotline of, uh, um, uh, Aignor and Andreth, right, the human elf uh, love story that we're going to have going on in uh, season five. So so we'll have lots of time to do compare and contrast of how the passage of time strikes each one of them. And so hopefully, at the very least, in retrospect, they will look back at the end of season four and be like, oh, right, okay, we were just getting the elvish point of view alone then. it, um, and so maybe, you know, eventually they'll see that it was actually brilliance rather than sloppiness on our part. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, no one
0: would, no one will dare accuse us of sloppiness.
1: Yeah. I mean, it will be pretty clear how precise everything is. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, okay. So let's think about how this episode would be structured. So, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to how we can apply this, especially, again, stages of construction in Gondolin as our op- most obvious external indicator. But, um, okay, so one of the things that we wanted to have happen was Ardell's farewell tour, right? I feel like the climax of this episode really needs to be Ardell's decision to go to Gondolin, right? Yeah. And her decision sort of... Um, uh, 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 sort of uh, standing. Um, uh, well, it's not quite fair to say that it's standing for the rest of them, right? It's standing for the for the for, for the rest of the uh, um, uh, people. But it kind of—I mean, it, it is in the sense that she's the one whose decision we will dramatize on screen. Right. Um, and we yep. will use that in order to suggest that, um, uh, that there's going to, um, uh, um, you know, that others are deliberating and making similar choices. Um, exactly. Hers, uh, is the character, she is a character whose experience of choosing to go to Gondola when the audience sees, uh, as Murray said. Exactly. Um, so yeah now Stephen, uh, the, i like the idea so uh Stephen was suggesting that we do some kind of moving shot like the uh the famous scene at the at the beginning is it of notting hill the movie when like he's sort of walking through the seasons and you know we're seeing this continuous shot of hugh grant walking down the street and the seasons are kind of changing around him um which is interesting it's, it's in the middle of the film i could remember where it was um and i i mean I think it's a cool effect. I, I, I remember thinking that that scene was really cool when I saw it, but I think the time here is too much. Um, it's going to look too time-lapse-y. I mean, if you're go- walking down the street and like the street is built, you know, the, the street is, the buildings are not built at one end of the street and then they're, they're, they're built by the time you get to the other end. If the thing that we're fighting against, is it looking like things are magically popping into place? That would seem to me to undermine that goal. Right. Um, If we're showing people laboring at constructing Gondolin, right, and then we come back to it later in the episode and Gondolin is is now, you know, more, you know, more progress has been made in the construction and there are still people building, right? I mean, it it conveys to you that, like, time has passed in a kind of a normal way. Um, But... um, yeah, so, and besides, we can, I don't know that we need to show much time passing during the course of the episode, you know? Um, as Belongsman says on the Twitch chat, yeah, I mean, sure, a couple hundred years can have passed since the last episode. Um, that's really yep. all we need to convey you know, he discovered, you know, uh, he discovers Laden in the last episode, in this episode, construction is underway and maybe, like, I don't know, three quarters finished or something like that. I mean, at least they're talking about moving now, right? Um, uh, Until they decide to move at the end and then when they, they, you know, we're going to show a finished gondolin in the next episode. So, I mean, again, time is going to be passing, but I don't think it is essential to us. Again, unlike that it, things like that moment in Notting Hill where you need a, a bunch of time to pass in the middle of the film, we don't need a bunch of time to pass in the middle of the episode, right It's true. I don't think that we do anyway, do we
0: no I, no I think that's a good point um in some sense like it, it's sort of weird like it kinda it's kind of irrelevant um uh in the course of the story that 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 the time that passes from event to event or between episodes is like on the order of you know tens or hundreds of years because uh, it's sort of it's sort of at this point in the story when we don't have when we don't have human beings it doesn't matter right it don't matter I guess that time moving you know like the time scale in some sense will kind of I guess time is accelerated and time will slow down once humans arrive and we'll have to be looking at events that are taking place over shorter periods of time because otherwise like like if hundreds of years passed between episodes and we have humans on screen, then like literally the characters that were on screen last episode will be gone yes. um but at this at this point it sort of doesn't matter
1: <laughs> and and I look forward to those moments when we have to use humans as timekeepers right for the elvish yeah. characters right like we, you know when we have you know uh like uh, you know Fingen turns to his you know to his. Uh, you know, the, 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 captain of the human forces, which is standing next to him and says, ah, do you remember this old battle that we were in? And he was like, that was my grandfather, sir, which was in the previous episode. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, like that, <laughs> that, that, you know, I'm sure there will be moments where we will, uh, uh be finding sort of potentially comical difficulties like that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we, we will, have, we will have the humans as milestones. Right. That's um, right. yeah. Yeah, um, one
0: episode it'll be one episode it'll be uh, it'll be Jim, and the next episode it'll be he'll be have like he'll be an elderly man,
1: right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and th- there, 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 there will I'm sure there will come times when it will be jarring, right? But then again, our time is gonna is gonna slow down, right? Um, our time is gonna slow. D- I mean, that is events are gonna f- speed up, uh, so that I mean from the you know, from the time of Hurin, certainly, right? There's t- uh, not much, right? There's not much time between the time, uh, or rather, a lot happens in the li- during the lifespans of Hurin and Turin, right? If you think about it. Um, yeah. So, you know, and then and 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 and, and tour there as well. So we're not going to be we're not going to be r- you know ripping through generation after generation of men uh, in comical fashion. I think. Uh, it, it might come up once or twice in in episode five or season five, rather. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, Marie, you're really right. It it really is season six when it's going to slow down to a normal uh, human human pace. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see how we choose to handle the passing of generations, especially in the first half. I would think of season five. Um, but um, anyway, okay. So. Now, I agree with the point that Marie was making before we want our characters kind of lulled into a sense of lasting peace. And of course, one of the biggest challenges, Marie, as I think you were uh, uh, reminding us before, as Tolkien has pointed out right in chapter three of The Hobbit, uh, peaceful times are no fun to talk about. Right. Um, They're boring. Uh, And so, of course, we're skipping most of the long piece here uh, before the gruesome events begin again. You know, the gruesome and uh, uh, fearful and palpitating things begin uh, uh, again. So that's, this is why I do think we're going to need some exposition at some point, right? We, We want to convey this. We want to convey this sense. Many of them should have the sense that they've won right? Peace yep. has been established, the leaguers working. Um, there should definitely be some overconfidence between the victory, the great victory at the battle, before uh, the Dagor Aglareb and the uh, lone peace that follows it, right? It should yep. you know, there should definitely be some who's thinking that way? Who are the most overconfident?
0: Well, the fanorians of course,
1: The <laughs> fanorians. I don't know. The Fanoreans get complacent. They've got a lot of vices, but I'm not sure that's one of them. Uh, do we want to make Fingolfin the champion of the... Uh, we have won... I mean, I'm thinking, of course, about his despair when uh, the Dagor Bragalak happens. Um, if he is the one who is most confident that they have won... Um, Hmm. There aren't very many other good candidates for that kind of overconfidence. We know that it can't be either Finrod or Turgon, right? Because they're preparing for disasters to come. There's no point in finding secret strongholds if you're never going to need them, right? If you don't believe you'll ever need them. So it obviously can't be either one of them. So that leaves only... Well, it can't be Thingol, because he's not barely even participating in the leaguer, right? So he's not going to have confidence in that. Thingol is confident in I agree, but he's confident in the, like, here we are, you know, within the girdle of Melian and nobody can reach us, so we don't even care, right? But that's a different kind of confidence than I'm talking about, right? The confidence of, um, you know, we have, won, you know, we haven't defeated Morgoth, we haven't reclaimed the Silmarils or anything, but we have, uh, we've won right? We have won the war here in the north. Um, I, I think it's got to be Fingolfin. I, I don't think it can be the Phanorians. Um They're the ones who want to make war on Morgoth. They're not really happy about just sitting back and guarding the passes. Um, it wouldn't be Ignor. You know, here, the death of Angrod really helps. Right. Uh, with that, because he's going to be, you know, having lost his brother in the in the previous battle, he's going to be sort of the more vigilant and, the, you know, he he will have probably the greatest respect for um, the power of Morgoth, the least confidence. Right. Uh, that it will be easy to repel them again. Um Yeah, right, Marie, and and Fingon has been to Angband, right? He's climbed on the slopes of Thangorodrum, so he's unlikely to be, like, super easily uh, uh, overconfident. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I think Fingolfin is our only only option. Um, Yeah. Rihanna, do you want us to give Angrod a scene over in Valinor, like in the halls of Mandos, being overconfident? <laughs> we could maybe do that, but it would, it would be—I be, don't know—I'm not sure how that would go. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think, uh, man, I'm—I—I uh,
0: I, I guess you're right. Doesn't seem to be really any other choices, but I've. I hate I hate do, having to do anything that makes that uh, diminishes Fingolfin. Makes yeah. him seem kind of foolish.
1: Well, see, I, it doesn't have to be. We don't have to go over the top with it. We don't have to make right. him look like an idiot. Um, just, All right. just. So, let's see, what would the flavor of his? Well, okay. Maybe I should stop using the word overconfident. Maybe just confident. Right. He's the one who wanted to, like, he was the biggest, the the one who, I mean, he's the, the high king, which means he's the, you know, the military over general. Uh, so the leaguers, his idea, right? That's what they're doing which means it's his idea, or at least he is supporting it because he's the High King, right? And that's kind of as we decided what High King means, right? Not that he has jurisdiction over all of them, but he's the one who is the leader of their coordinated efforts. Um, so um, so yeah, Marie, exactly. He is pleased that the Leaguer is working, right? Um, and he doesn't have to be like crazy overconfident, like making boasts and things which makes everybody around him cringe or anything like that. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that. Um,
0: All right. All right. I I, 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 get, I can buy this. He he's not he's not like goofy. Yeah, he's not over the top overconfident. He's just, he just he feels like it's working that they they've, they've got a good strategy and that it's, uh, you know, that they they've planned for the contingencies. He's, he's yeah. confident in his preparation.
1: Right. Confident in his preparation. Exactly. He's
0: just understandably, understandably underestimating what Morgoth can get up to.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, Because he also has, if you think about it, he has less experience with. Morgoth, like since Morgoth's return to Middle Earth, he has right. less direct experience with him than many of the others. Right? I mean, he fought in the Dagor Aglareb, of course, so he has that experience. But he didn't. fight, I mean, the Fanorians have fought him more often. Right? Have met him in Mithros, and so Mithros has had an experience. Right? Fingon has had an experience in his in his rescuing of Mithros. Um, uh, you know, Ignor, uh, and, uh, uh, his late brother were looking out. I mean, they were, they were the closest to the gates of Angband, right? So they would have had a, a somewhat different perspective, uh, than Fingolfin maybe. Um, Torgan and Finrod have been, you know, given these visions from Olma, which gives them a different perspective, uh, on the whole thing. So, um... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Fingolfin, I'm thinking about that scene of Fingolfin marching up to the gates of Angband right after he arrived in Beleriand. Right. I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, that's one of the things I'm thinking of when I say he has less experience. I mean, he marched up and defied Morgoth at his gates and then walked away, unfought. Right. Um, so it's not that I think, again, it's not that Fingolfin really believes, like, oh, yeah, Morgoth is a coward and a pushover, right? I, I don't think that he believes that. But again, he has defied Morgoth at his gates and gotten away with it before, right? So I think that a certain amount of underestimation of Morgoth would be kind of natural, uh, to, at least as natural to him as to anybody else sort of in play uh among the the leaders of the uh of the Noldor here I really wish I had another candidate but I can't think of one again cuz none of the fanorians will suit um that's just I, I just I just don't think it'll work with the fanorians yeah so Marie suggests that... Um, uh, oh, Rhiannon, it was you who suggested about uh, uh, Fingolfin marching up to the gates or reminding us about Fingolfin marching up to the gates of Angband. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's really important. Um, Marie, I agree that Fingon can be in agreement with Fingolfin now, but uh, change his mind uh, after the Glaurung episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that can uh, that can change some things. And of course, we'll have to we're not going to really get to the fallout of that in episode 13. We'll have to be dealing with that in episode one of season five. Right. Um, as we kind of try to capture what is the, you know, the situation, what is the political situation in Beleriand after the attack of Glauron. Right. Um, and for the last stretch of the, uh, of the, of the, the watchful piece there. Um, yeah, exactly, Marie. The Fanorians can't conclude that they've won while Morgoth holds the Silmarils. Indeed, like, if anything, they're going to be, they're still going to be irritated about the leaguer because it's not accomplishing anything, at least not anything from their perspective, right? Not anything, uh, not the thing that they want to accomplish, which is the recovery of the Silmarils, right? No amount of uh, holding him in check there in the north is going to get them any closer to the Silmarils. So, so yeah, they, they, they can't be just content and hoping that this will last indefinitely. And I don't think that that's a diminishing thing to give to Fingolfin, a hope that this can be maintained, right? Yeah. He, he doesn't have to be dumb, right? He doesn't have to be a sucker. He just has to hope that, you know, to, to hope and, and even believe that, that they can, that they can do this. Right. Um, you know, we can have, even have yeah. him saying like, Morgoth is going to throw more stuff at us, but you know, by golly, I think we can deal with it. Like we dealt with it before.
0: Yeah. You're, you're convincing me that like, you're, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not sort of a, it's not a foolhardiness or a dangerous overconfidence, but it's, I think I, li- I like the framing of it as hope The you know, that it's, he, he's may- maybe he's, maybe he's engaging in like, he, he trusts, trusts in their kind of, their level of preparation. And then he's, and then he's engaging in maybe slightly wishful thinking and hopeful thinking because he wants, he wants it to be enough because right. he wants, he wants to protect his people.
1: Right. Yeah, and he doesn't actually want to attack Thangarodrim. I mean, that's not a great idea. I mean, it's just not. Um, Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, all right. Let me try to wrap my brain around the events in this episode. Because there's a lot of things. Now, like, of course, some of this, we can leave this to the, uh, uh, the wisdom of our, of our script writers who can balance this stuff. But, but I want to just make sure that we're thinking it through. So we've got, we need to have some conversations where we establish that the siege has been going on for some time and that it's going well, right? And that the elves are enjoying peace and getting used to it. So that's, we need to have a conversation where that's established. Where could we have that? So where are conversations happening? Well, all over the place, because Arothel's going on our farewell tour, right? So Ardell's farewell tour, what if we, what if we actually follow Arathel through this episode, or at least mostly? What if the only place Ardell doesn't go is Doria? right? She doesn't go to Doriath, and so we're going to have to cut away from her to go to Doriath. But wait, do we even need to go to Doriath in this episode? Where, uh, where we need to get to Angband and see folks captured. We need to build Nargothrond and evict the petty dwarves. We do need Norn's final conversation with Mablung, but that doesn't have to happen in Doriath. That could happen like in Nargothrond or some such. Um, we can have um, and of course we're going to need to have the building of Gondolin at least I think two si- two scenes in Gondolin under construction. We need Olmo appearing to Targon to have him leave the armor behind. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then of course we need we have to be in Nevrast for the big decision, Arthel's big decision, and Turgen's big sales pitch for the gondolin move. Okay. The only thing that is. Well, hang on. Quick question. Almo appearing to Turgen. When does that happen? When does that hmm. happen? Does that happen after the decision's made or before? I think before, cause I mean, it's not like he's going to tell him while Turgon is out the door, right? Cause he's got to like make a suit of armor and, uh, and, uh, and, and leave it there in the throne room. Right. So like, uh, you know, almost has to like give him two ors measurements so that he can, he can make the armor, uh, to specifications. Um. So, Maria, I'm briefly toying with the idea. Now, this might be a bad idea, but I'm briefly toying with the idea. What if Aravel is there? Does Omo have to appear to Turgon alone for this one? The dream was secret. The showing him the way to Tumladen had to be secret, if it was going to remain secret, how, you know, where it was. Um, does it, but now is, this is going to be, I mean, we're in the ballpark of the time when Turgan is making it public to the people of Neverest, right, to tell them about the move and recruit them to come. Um I don't know. I'm just trying to, what I'm, what I'm toying with is whether or not it would be a good thing or a bad thing for us to use almost third appearance to, to, you know, third interaction with Turgun here as a more kind of dramatic moment. Um, We had already decided, I think we'd already decided uh, that... Omo was going to appear to him in person here, unlike the other times, right? He appeared in the you know, he sent him a dream the first time. He sent like birds and stuff the second time. So uh it was, you know, one direct communication but through dreams. The second really just indirect communication, and the third time he was going to appear before Turgen to give him the specific instructions. Um and Rihanna, and exactly the fact that Turgen is going to leave this armor is not going to be a secret, right? Uh, in fact, it shouldn't be a secret. Uh, the the Gondolindrum are going to recognize the armor, and you'd think he's going to want them to, right? Um, so that's got to be, uh, that's got to be public. Um, I don't necessarily think it needs to be in front of like the whole city or something like that. Like we don't need to do a massive spectacle where like Olmo rises out of the sea and wades his way to shore in front of you know hundreds of people looking on, uh, and has this chat with Turgon which everybody overhears. That it seems to me far too much. What I'm what I'm imagining is basically Turgon being with uh, at least Idril and Arathel and maybe Gorfindel and Ecthelion as well. You know the sort of the whole inner circle of uh, of of Gondolin and Olmo appears then, um, and having that be something that sways, that contributes to swaying Arthel's opinion, right? I mean, hard not to be impressed by the, you know, the visual manifestation of Olmo talking to you and laying this upon you. So when, you know, her brother says, so yeah, uh, Olmo kind of told me to build this secret city and, and I'm, I'm like under orders, you know, as you can see, she's going to be like, uh, you know, whoa. (laughs) Like, okay, like, I see you're under orders. Um, One potential advantage to this is it, it gives us a psychological explanation for Arevel choosing to come, but still not being uh, totally convinced, right? She, like, the the appearance of Olmo is super impressive, right? And that sways her into thinking, okay, well, like, yeah, this must be right. Like, who am I to argue, you know, with Olmo here? Um, This must be the right thing to do. We should do it, even though she's going to be like, in my heart, I'm not sure it's the right thing. But I'm going to just suck it up and do it because I think, you know, I may look like Olmo says to do it and okay. And then later on, in season five, we have her questioning that and saying, like. Maybe I was wrong, right? That was uh, that was me, you know. Olmo um, has a rather overwhelming personality, but um, but maybe that was, objectively speaking, not really the right call. But I don't. But then again, I don't really want there to be like beef between Arvel and Olmo, right? Necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a little odd. It would be a little odd, especially since. We want Turgon refusing what Olmo says to be groundbreaking, right? Well, semi-groundbreaking. Uh, 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 Turin has already dis- disregarded what Olmo said, um, so Turgon will be the second person to disregard Olmo's explicit instructions. Um, but, but nevertheless, I mean, it that it. I think it will undermine the significance of Turgans questioning Olmo's words, if we have Ardell questioning Olmo's words first. So, okay. Maybe not that. Could Idril see him, too? What if Idril's there? I mean, we obviously have to have a scene, right, in which Idril standing there looking at the suit of armor, right? Like staring up into the face of the suit of armor, um, you know, with a wild surmise, right? Like, clearly, we, uh, th- that little piece of foreshadowing is an absolute must, right? Could we have her there when Omo gives the instructions? That
0: would make sense.
1: I kind of like it. I don't know why I want... um, uh, I don't know why I want somebody else there. But I I do. I don't know why. Why do I want that? Is that just like an arbitrary whim on my part? Maybe it is an arbitrary whim and should therefore be resisted. I think... What can we do with it? I think the reason I want it... I'm trying to figure out why I want it. I think the reason I want it is that... This feels to me like something that should be climactic. I think it's going to be strange, especially because of the way that, again, the difference between this appearance and the others that we've planned out already, right? It's now, the third, t- it's, it's the third time for one thing, right? Three times is significant. So it's the third time he's appeared to, to Turgen. It seems like that should be a bigger deal. Secondly, it's the first time he's appearing in person. So it's already definitely a bigger deal. And so, therefore, it seems to me, it feels to me, a little anticlimactic, if basically he's just coming in and being like, "P.S. Right, make a suit of armor." Right. Um, I, I, yeah. Um, it's not so, Marie. There is an issue there, right? Um, and Marie says. Maybe it's because no one will believe you had a vision if you're the only one who saw it. But if there are multiple witnesses, then it's more real. I don't think that that's why I want it. Because, if anything, to me, that's an argument against it. Because I would not want... The last thing I would want is to you know to invite the audience to imagine that any of the Gondolindrim are like, whispering behind their hands about turgan being like oh the king is seeing visions again i wonder where he's going to take us next time under you know by the advice of his mysterious voices that he keeps hearing right uh, that no like they have complete confidence in Turgen. um there is not anyone among the gondolindrum who does not believe that he genuinely had a vision um and you know that they have been destined there i mean in fact if anything i think uh the tendency among the gondolindrim, as things start to get worse in Gondolin, I would think that what's going to happen is the reverence for Turgan is going to increase and increase. Right? Um, that would be my suspicion, uh, that, um, if again, if the Gondolindrum go bad, it's not through doubt of their king, but through over reverence of their king, I would imagine. Um, Yeah. Now, would Maeglin doubt the reality of Turgon's visions, Rhiannon? Possibly, possibly, um, possibly, but I don't know. I tend to think that he might believe them and instead want to like hijack them or like monopolize on them basically, or, uh, you know, um, profit, you know, be profiteering rather than, uh, skeptical necessarily. Um, yeah, well, Magwin's character will be interesting when we get there. Um, but not quite yet. Um, yeah, so so no, it's not for <clears throat> further witnesses for his visions. Exploit them, Boomful! That's the word that I was looking for. Absolutely. Um, it's not for the... Um, uh, uh, f- for confirmation of his visions that I'm wanting more witnesses. It's for the increased like drama and significance of the moment. Um,
0: Why do you think witnesses increases the drama?
1: A question to be asked. (laughs) Omo appearing to someone Almost sending somebody a dream that nobody else has, you know, could happen to anybody, right? Could happen at any time. Totally normal, right? Um, True. Olmo directing him. Arguably, arguably happening
0: repeatedly throughout many of Tolkien's stories or, you know, like, or there's certainly illusions and cases where you could make uh, or instances where you could make a case like, man, that seems like an Olmo dream.
1: Exactly. Okay, sure. Right, exactly. We were arguing that we were considering that you know, the question of whether the vision that Frodo has in his dream in Crick Hollow of the tower by the yep. sea and everything, whether that was from Olmo, um, yeah, exactly. Um, so, anyway, those are, that's that's all one thing. But for Olmo to appear in person, just like what, while Turgon is in his dressing room, like. Where is he gonna be that he's gonna be by himself and almost just gonna show up and be like, Hey, it's just you and me. I just wanted to I had a thing. I need you to do I got an errand for you before you leave. I I mean it just I think what's troubling, well, not troubling me. I think what's what I am disliking about the idea of a totally private appearance of Olmo to Turgan, is that it makes him feel like a like a messenger, like like a courier or something, you know, like he, or like um, like a, I don't know, almost like a lackey. Like I, I want him to. Uh, it sort of seems like if he's going to take the time now to like he's going to choose. Like now is the moment where he's going to appear in person to Turgan, um, you know, he's not gonna pop out of a, like, pop out of the wardrobe in his changing room, you know? Um, right, exactly, Rihanna. We could have him arise out of Turgen's bathtub, right? Absolutely, that could totally <laughs> work, but that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm wanting to resist, right, for it to be just that kind, because it, it does feel to me almost comical, Right. To have Olmo, Lord of Waters, just like, you know, pop in when you're by yourself in a back room. Right. But if Turgon were sitting in council and Olmo were to appear and speak to him in front of all of his counselors, or he were to be sitting in the throne room looking out at the sea, um, Uh, and, uh, you know, and Idril is sitting next to him and then Olmo appears, you know, before them, or maybe, you know, maybe, maybe and Ecthelion are there, you know, behind him or something like that. Um, that's, that doesn't, that feels right. Yeah, Marie, I don't want it to be private in a private, intimate conversation between the two of them. I want it to be public and formal. I want it, this is like a visitation by Olmo, that's a big deal, right? I mean, and I know I'm being influenced by the fact that when Olmo appears to Tuor, it is a huge deal, right? Not only in the sense that it's a very momentous occasion, but in the sense that like, I mean, it's real, Olmo is super dramatic, right? I mean, the way he, with the storm and the sea and the waves are crashing and then the god of waters rises up out of the surf. I mean, it's really imposing and yeah, again, just for that same guy to you know, and and how many times does Olmo appear in person? Two here and there, right? That's kind of it. He's never going to do this again. So for one of his two personal appearances, for just to, for him to like stick his head around the 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 door right into Turgan's bedroom and be like, oh hey, yeah, I just wanted to mention, um, you know, make some armor too. It just that doesn't feel doesn't feel like almost idiom. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and I know that tour is the only one there at the time. It's but it's it's it's, it's not that uh, great, you know. Uh, multiple witnesses, uh, Dave, as you were implying, multiple witnesses doesn't mean a- automatic increase of drama, right? It's it's it's, it's not that. Marie is put her finger on the thing that uh, that I think is influencing me here, which is the this should be a large sort of formal spectacle rather than just a private. Uh, a private appearance, because even though Tuor is the only one there, it is not a private appearance. I mean, anyone within five miles would have seen Olmo as well. It's just there wasn't anybody else. Tuor was alone, right? Um, um, Yeah, so, right, Margaret, exactly. I don't want Olmo to appear, to appear to Turgon uh, and have it feel like Dobby the house elf appearing to Harry Potter. That's exactly what I don't want. Uh, that is, that is a perfect, a perfect encapsulation of the contrast that I'm looking for. Um, yeah, now it is certainly possible, Marie, that he could, we could, we could have Turgen walking along the seashore and have a solo yet dramatic visitor from the sea, but I kind of don't want to spoil that, right? I mean, I don't, like, when he rises from the sea in storm and you know, like that, I, I don't want it to look exactly the same, um, uh. Because I don't want that to look like a rerun when we get there. Um, that needs to be super impressive on its own. Um, so, like I said, I don't, I don't absolutely insist on company. I, if we're not going to have Aravel there and have the appearance of Olmo influence her, which I think I talked myself out of, um, but if we're not going to do that, then I don't see any function necessarily. The reason that I was suggesting maybe Idril as the other person who is there is that, um, first of all, he's come to talk about Tuor, right? So having Idril there would be kind of fun for the sake of dramatic irony uh, later on. Um, uh, That's one reason I think it'd be fun to have Idril there. Another reason is that this kind of thing, you know, uh, plan ahead and prepare this thing that I am, you know, uh, uh, lay the, you know, uh, lay the path for this thing that I'm going to bring to pass later on. That's like right up Idril street, right? You know, this whole, like, let's think ahead and plan ahead and be prepared, uh, you know, for the things that are, that, you know, the, the, that, that are to come. That's totally Idril, right? She gets that and to sort of, to see her, um, uh, you know, it just, it kind of seems fitting that she, you know, uh, it seems to fit her that she would be sort of in on it in that sense. Or even knowing that it fits her, that, it, you know, that um, what if Idril participated? What if Idril contributed to the armor herself? What if she helps make it? Uh, that would also be cool, right? What if Tor, What if Turgon, rather, and Idril make Tour's armor together? that would be kind of fun. Right. Anyway, so that's why, that's why I'm suggesting if it's anybody, I think it should be a drill. Um, and that doesn't mean it has to be at a big formal occasion. How would we have him appear if he doesn't rise out of the sea and he doesn't rise out of the hot tub, uh, what's the middle ground <laughs> between those two things or apparate into existence, uh, and wake Turgon up in the middle of the night. Um, uh, we, I'm thinking of the throne room throne room is a very natural, uh, location for this, both because of course the throne room is going to be where he's supposed to leave the armor. So we can have, you know, like right there, <laughs> he, he, he can point right. Uh, when he's explaining where he should leave the armor. Um, but, um, uh, but, uh, the other reason that I like it is that, remember, we had uh, said that Turgen's throne room is open towards the sea, open towards the west, um, you know, on, on the western side, so you can look out uh, at the sea. So the connection between his throne room and the sea uh, uh, sort of suggests that Marie is suggesting he can walk into the throne room like a normal person and then walk out into the sea afterwards. Uh, so we can, so we don't know. So are you suggesting that we really don't have any, that we don't have any idea that it's Omo uh, during the whole conversation or at least not at the beginning until, uh, Turgen picks up on it and then, but he still just looks sort of normal. Oh, right. No, no stepping out of fountains. Yeah, no, I'm not thinking that he steps out of fountains. If he steps out of anything short of the sea, it's going to be, it's going to be anticlimactic. Um, could he do a shape change <clears throat> Could we have him like you know uh fly in as like an albatross or something and then land and take the form of a of a you know a an anthropod form uh when he arrives in the in the throne room because it again with the open wall he can just fly straight in um exactly the reverse l wing that's just exactly it, yeah, yeah, I mean that in itself is a little bit of, uh, foreshadowing, right?
0: I like the reverse L wing. That's a nice idea.
1: Yeah. Do the reverse L wing. Um,
0: I also like that expression.
1: (laughs) The reverse L wing. Yeah. Uh, course Marie adapting, combining your suggestion and mine, we could have him do the full L wing. That is, he could enter the throne room as a as a person, and then he, like, at the end of the conversation, he like goes to the end of the throne room and, and like leaps off, and then we see him fly away in the form of a bird, like Elwing does.
0: So just the straight up L wing.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. The straight. Up. I suppose the full L wing you know, you have to like resume your human form on board a ship later on. Uh, so it's not quite the full L wing.
0: It's the, it's the
1: half L wing. It's the half L wing. Yeah, this does does sound like a figure skating term. <laughs> Murray. Yeah. I agree. I agree.
0: I, you know what? I, I like that idea. Um, that, that seems like that might be a nice compromise where you can have other people be there. Uh, but we but it still doesn't have to be the Omo rising out of the water. Dramatic.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. And yeah, no, it wouldn't have to yeah. be. And so it wouldn't be until like
0: the end when he like, you know, pulls the the half L wing where, where it dawns on people that like, Oh, that wasn't just some elf.
1: Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, guy. I would think that Turgon would probably um, uh, that Turgon is probably would recognize him. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Figure out that it's him. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe we could find, uh, or that is maybe cunning script writers could find ways to kind of string the viewer along a little bit, right? At least make the viewer wonder who this guy is. It will have been a long time since Olmo has been on screen. Right? The Olmo also, character
0: that we cast. And it's fine if, like, the savvy viewer knows, but but make it Make it plausible. Make it plausible to the viewer that the other characters wouldn't
1: realize it. Right. Like the other people, like you know, Idril and Axelion uh, and Gorfindel, if they're there, you know, mine Hey. Okay, so I just thought of another reason. I totally want Axelion there. Axelion has to be there. If nobody else is there, Xaelian has to be there. I want... I want there to be an encounter between Xaelian and Omo. Because that will be important later on. First of all, he's going to be Lord of the Fountains, right? So he's going to be associated with water uh, after he's in Gondolin. But second, his death scene, right? The, there's... the, uh, Yeah. Uh, Omo has to be, like, indirectly involved there. Um, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah. But Margaret, yeah, exactly. Something like that, you know, something more like that kind of Greek or even Norse, you know, like, Oh, that stranger like was actually a God, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, exactly. That's, that's just the kind of way that we can set the scene up. Um, uh, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, no, I definitely want a there so that Thelian can meet Olmo uh, because, uh, I, 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 I definitely want some Olmo relevance when it comes to, uh, his Ethelion's um, death. Uh, Icthelion is certainly going to be calling upon Olmo's assistance uh, at the end, uh, and I think getting it. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> Rhiannon says that Olmo could compliment Ethelion's pointy helmet. Yeah, Rihanna exactly. He, he he should be wearing his spiked helmet, and Olmo should say, "Nice hat," <laughs> right? Yeah. No, absolutely. So, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, um, uh, I, I'm alluding to the death of Echthelion as described in the Book of Lost Tales version of the Fall of Gondolin, the only version that actually describes the Fall of Gondolin, um, in which uh, uh, uh in the absolutely most metal death ever, uh, uh, kills Gothmog by drowning him in the fountain. Um, stabbing him with his pointy hat and drowning him in the fountain without the use of either one of his arms. Uh, so yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, Rihanna says he should say looking sharp there. Ouch. Oh, very good. Very good. Um, anyway, yeah, no, it's good. I, I, I like this. We can, we can, so, so is it okay to, uh, anyway, if, 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 if The people on the discussion board, like, totally rebel against uh, anybody else being there. I'd be willing to concede. I'd slightly grudge um, the uh, lost opportunity to have Icthelion and Olmo meet. I think that would be important. Uh, But still, but still, um, Icthelion and Idril, at least. I don't see any reason why Gorfindel can't be there. Um, But, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um. Okay. All right. So it's working hypothesis. He, he enters the room like a normal person and then does the half-elwing on the way out the, well, not the door, but the wall, uh, and flies away. Oh, and sorry, Rhiannon had mentioned before that birds in general being associated with Manway um, you know, would Olmo's appearances of birds suggest to the viewers that Manway is involved or approves? Possibly, possibly. I mean, you know, he would be taking the form of a conspicuously aquatic bird, and we've already had birds be involved, um, and Rihanna, a kind of uh, a kind of avian handoff, right between uh, between <laughs> between Olmo and Manway when we went from like the waterfowl to the eagles, right, to uh, help him find Tumladen. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. No, I agree. I mean if we're going to have a Th- and and Angel there, Gl- Glorfindel should be there. Uh and Marie, I agree with you. If uh, I think that uh, Trish would be furious to find out on the night she couldn't be here. We had just like randomly said Glorfindel shouldn't be on screen for some for like no good reason. Um Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If you think a good compromise would be to have Omo take the shape of a flightless bird like a penguin, right? we'd have to follow him with the camera, right, to see that he survived the dive, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. A penguin uh, popping out of a hot tub is, uh, uh, it would definitely be easy to do the appearance of Omo in a, in a rather comical way. Um, but, uh, okay, all right, yeah, it's fine we got the we we got the uh, the the uh the half L wing it's all good so okay so let's go back to the sequence here well hang on so we need the gondolin scenes that we need we need a scene near the beginning of gondolin being constructed maybe Turgon is there Right, so we have Turgon in Gondolin near the beginning of the episode, over like visiting and seeing how the work is going. Right, so we see him circulating among the contractors who are uh, obviously behind schedule and over budget, uh, and comical conversations in that direction. Anyway, it doesn't have to be long, but we just we establish um, we establish Turgon and Gondolin and Gondolin in its like half constructed state. Um, then we. Later we'll have to I guess we could do we need to return to Gondolin again to see it more complete What if the Gondolindrum aren't gonna actually move until the end? What if the final speech that Turgon gives, the final sales pitch that Turgon gives Arathel happens in Gondolin. What if he shows her Gondolin at the end? And in Gondolin, which is now mostly to fully, uh, uh, mostly to fully done, he. Uh, yeah, that's possible. That's possible. Um, I mean, unless you. Unless people think that he wouldn't show it to her at all until she had definitely said yes. I could see that, but I could also see him making an exception for his sister, too. I mean, eventually, he's gonna make an exception for his sister, right, and let her leave. So uh, that could be a foreshadowing of that. Um, and you're right, Marie, all he'd have to do is blindfold her anyway. Um, but yeah, no, so Rihanna and I'm not saying that they're going to stay there. Like, basically it would be, they'd be in Gondolin, he'd be showing her Gondolin, right? And telling her, in order to tell her, he'd show her Gondolin and he'd tell her the plan and he would give her the pitch and say, we're gonna move here. And eventually she'd be like, okay. But then they'd still have to go back to Neverest to like tell everybody else. He wants Arathel's buy-in before he goes to the rest of the people, right? And so we don't show him giving the same speech to like the whole people, but we show him convincing her and then saying, okay, Good. Let's go convince everybody else, and then in episode thirteen we show everybody else coming to Gondolin, and we know that he's convinced everybody, right? Um, because again, the actual locate the actual relocation, doesn't have to happen uh, until episode thirteen. That means that the in between those two, the first visit to Gondolin near the beginning of the episode, the last visit to Gondolin to convince Arathel near the end of the episode we would have an intermediate scene in which we have the appearance of Olmo, uh, and the, uh, discussion of the armor. And then we can show Turgon and maybe Idril, uh, doing the armor together. Um, okay. Okay. Um, interspersed among these, we need captive Noldor and Angband. Um, we definitely need Hrogren in there because Rog needs to get out in time to get to Gondolin. Right. Um, so we've got to get Rog out of there uh, by next episode at the very latest, which means we've got to get him in there uh, uh, pretty soon. So if we do show the capture of Anil and he's taken to Angband and chucked in, and, you know, like there's Diriel and in the next in the next cells... You know, we can sort of establish that, like, people are there. Um, oh, no, that's right. Rog is entering Gondolin post knife I had totally forgotten. You're absolutely right about that, Marie. Sorry about that. Uh, of course. Of course. He's not going to be uh, in Gondolin yet. Right. Sorry. Lapse on my part. Um, he's still going to be fighting uh, with Fingon in the early stages. So when do we need to set him free, then? Rog should be set free before the Dagor Bragollach, I would think. I mean, not set free. He should escape before the Dagor Bragollach, but, um, but he could be—he could be in a, a season five feature, right? We just should get him into Angband, right, so that it will be clear that he's been there for a while. Mm. Golly, have we introduced his character ever? Did we meet him before? We've we I know we've talked about him on the show, but I don't think we've actually shown him on screen. He, we had him captured in the Dagorag. Or, okay, great. Cool. Okay, so we know we know he's there. We saw him uh in the battle, and we uh we 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 had him dragged off to Angband. That's fine. Um uh, so yeah, uh, a reminder that there are captive Noldor and Angband would be good. Um I'm not sure about the glimpse of Morgoth being up to something. Um, I mean, we talked about what we really wanted to happen with the dragon uh, in our dragon episode. Um, all right, we introduced him back in episode one. Oh, thanks, guys. I'd forgotten about that. So he was a messenger in episode one. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah. Um do we want to show how Kurafin is holding up with his wife and Angband? I think it should come up, but I think it could come up It could come up with Arthel. Arthel we know is friends with the Phanorians. So she is certainly going to go. She is certainly going to go visit the Fanorians in her farewell tour. In fact, where else is are they going to go? Visit Dad, right? So she's going to go visit Fingon and Fingolfin and then she's going to go visit the Fanorians. And that's pretty much the tour, right? I mean, I guess she could visit Aignor <clears throat> on the way, the other brother, right? Um, but what if we show her, she goes to Hithlum first, right? We, so we, we, we have her, we have a scene with Fingolfin and Fingon, and this is the scene when we can have them talking and, and, you know, how long they've been holding the siege and, and, uh, Fingolfin's confidence can... Come up there, right? Uh, with Arthel in that discussion, so that's fine. And then she heads down. What if we have her riding with Ignor? So Ignor accompanies her to like the border of the Theonorian lands, and then he turns back. So this shows us both: a, how much more comfortable she is with the Theonorians than the others of her kin, right? Aignor not super happy with the Feanorians, um, so he won't f- go with her to their lands. Um, but it also establishes that she did visit him without our having to, uh, give that a whole extra, uh, a whole extra, uh, scene. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Cousin. Sorry. No, that's what I meant. I know. Um, uh, yeah. So. Well, we just had Aignor visiting him ring so he could get Narsil. Yeah, that's true. He can't be too fan or a universe, can he? Especially not after that, I suppose. Okay. Well, maybe we just have him going... I mean, going back and visiting again. No. Um, uh, I don't know. We could just cut him out the loop. She could just mention that she saw him or something. Because um, I don't think we need more than two Aradale scenes. We definitely want... Fingolfin, and it's our best excuse to get Fingolfin into this episode anyway, if we want to have that conversation. And then she definitely has to visit the Faenorians. What do we want to accomplish there with her visit to the Feanorians? Um Establish their friendship. Yes. What else apart from that? Do we have them trying to, like, are they gonna so I mean, we can have, of course, a conversation with Corfin and how he's holding up without his wife. Um, uh, do they figure out that there's something going on? This is not just a normal visit. Do they detect that she's saying goodbye or potentially saying goodbye? and try to get information out of her and she won't give it. Um, you know, so we show some discomfort there. Do we, uh, do they plant seeds? This of course is a big chance for us to give the Thaenorian point of view, namely the, when are we going to storm Thangarodrim and get the Silmarils back already point of view. Um, you know, we got the, we got the, hey, isn't it nice that the siege is going so well point of view from Fingolfin. We need that other point of view from the Fanorians. And again, Arthel is ideally placed to elicit both halves of that conversation. Um, but. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, that, this yeah. seems
0: like a really good time to, to draw the contrast with, uh, Fingolfin.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Um, do we have her kind of resonating with them, right? I mean, that they are sort of the counterpoint. Mithros is kind of the counterpoint that she has to be like. That's even like a kind of seed of doubt. So that later on in season five, when she decides to leave, basically one of the ways in which she will um, articulate that is, you know what? Mithros was right. Turgen is wrong. Mithers was right. And that's why she wants to leave Gondolin to go to the Fanorians. Not just because, like, I'm bored and I want to go hang out with my friends finally. Um, but because she's, like, come around to their way of thinking. That would work. That would work. Um... Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll leave the details of that to the script designers. But okay, so we've got, what What do we have? Four Turgon scenes, Turgon slash Gondolin scenes, two Aradel scenes, one with Fingolfin, one with Maedhros. Um, Now we need to f- sort out the Nargothrond element. The beginning of the episode, the opening scene of the episode is Gondolin, right? Gondolin under construction. And we see the beauty of Gondolin beginning to unfold. The second scene of the episode is the eviction of the petty dwarves. No explanation. We just see the petty dwarves being driven out. Right. Um, and then and we because we will have had. In the previous episode, Thingol relenting and deciding that he was going to help Finga, or, sorry, Finrod. Um, then we see the petty dwarves being booted. And then there's the conversation afterwards. So this helps when now Norn is going to take them there, right? And they're going to be like, oh, look, this unpopulated cave system. How nice. Right? Um, and this accomplishes what we were wanting to We talked about this ages ago, right? How do we have the petty dwarves evicted from Nargothrond and have that be a really, really big deal without making Finrod look like an imperialist? And our solution <laughs> at the time was to have him ignorant of the fact. Right? Have this be an, a, a dwarf thing that they keep to themselves. They don't want to tell the elves about this. Right? Because it's it's, it's this is dwarf business. Um, they don't want to talk about the exiles. Um, so they t- just take care of this business and then they give uh, uh, Nargothrond to Finrod and he's all over pleased. It's a great place, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Rhiannon, I think, well, I don't think we have to keep Finrod in the dark forever, but that's a later season problem. Right now, we just need to get him moved in, and I think I, I like our solution before to move him in. Well, in the dark, as it were. Right. So we need <laughs> we need three total Nargothrond-related scenes. The first one with the petty dwarves, you know, the 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 mini trail of tears of the petty dwarves, right, as they troop out of Nargothrond under protest. Um, we then need a conversation between Norn Norn and Mablung, the final conversation between Norn and Mablung. And then we need Finrod arriving, right, and being shown around, like by Mablung, presumably, Mablung and Beleg maybe, looking around and being like, "Yeah, oh, this is great, we'll just knock through that wall and it'll be just the thing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, Rihanna, I think they can come to be aware of the existence of the petty dwarves later, but I don't think we need to do that now. Um, I think it would would be too complicated right now. We've got lots of time in season six, season six stretches out before us, like on the undiscovered country, right? Um, there's time to bring them into the story later on, but, um, yeah, we don't need to now. Okay. Uh, yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Okay, good. Hey, so time to move on to episode thirteen. Let's at least start on episode thirteen. Let's try to wrap our heads around the major things <laughs> with episode thirteen. We got lots of time here. Um, so we have two primary. Remember,
0: remember how? Uh, remember how during episode prep we were like, you know, we'll we'll race through episode, race through episode twelve. Done that. Finished
1: yeah. it. Yeah, I know. I know. That's it. okay. No, we're good. So we have two primary things that happen. Well, three. Three primary things that happen in episode 13, right? Uh, the two primary events, right, are Glad- the wedding between Galadriel and Celeborn and the battle with Laura So those are our two primary things that happen in episode 13. In addition, there are a couple other things that need to be accomplished. Namely the, uh, the, the, the final move in it's moving day in Gondolin, right? And target is going to close the gates on the outer world. And the Gondolindrim are now, uh, are now locked away, uh, in, in Gondolin. Um, Finrod needs similarly to be established in Nargothrond. So we need to show Nargothrond and Gondolin pretty much done, right? Uh, in episode 13. Um, uh, so that's fine. Um, but those aren't necessarily big things. I think we might need two Gondolin scenes. Um, the secret journey of the Gondolindrum, you know, covered in mist from the rivers, uh, you know, yeah, I like that. Um, I especially like the covered in mist thing, uh, because it's, um uh, uh, because of its links to the Lord of the Rings. Um, well, not to the Lord of the Rings. Um, of course, thinking of, uh, uh, of Goadriel and Errol the Young actually is what I'm thinking of, uh, in Unfinished Tales. But anyway, um, uh, Vriyanand says, what is Turgon going to tell everyone before his disappearance that will prevent them looking for him? Well, do you think that Finrod is going to twig to what happened? Right? Do you think Finrod is going to be like, gosh, it's almost like he had this sudden compulsion to make a secret stronghold and withdraw all of his people into it, right? Like, you think maybe Finrod would kind of be like, hey, maybe he had the same vision that I did, right? Um, not that he'd necessarily say it that way, you know, tell people about that. But, but you know, you kind of got to think that Finrod is, is for, yeah, Finrod is going to be suspicious. Um, would he leave a note for his dad? you know, or send a message or would they'll tell them in the previous episode. Um, so that, I mean, cause if they know, I mean, if, if Fingon and Fingolfin know, um, then when someone's like, Hey, did anybody notice that Neverast is like completely deserted? And then Fingolfin will be like, ask me no questions and I'll tell you no lies, right? He'd be like, yeah, "No, no, don't worry about it. Pay no attention to the empty city by the sea. It's all fine. And part of the plan. Um uh and nobody needs to know anything about it. I mean that would kind of do the trick. But I agree, Rihanna, without something like that, it would be a little bit hard to explain why nobody was worried, <laughs> right? Um why there is not at least an inquiry being made here. Um Yeah. So I would be okay with Arvel telling Fingolfin. That seems to me perfectly reasonable. And again, if Fingolfin knows then it's fine. He's the high king, right? And he can tell people like, you know, I can't give you any further information, but just it's fine. And he won't know where it is. He won't know the location because of course when Arvel visits him, she won't yet know the location either. Um he will only know the concept. I think that would be okay. As for Glaurung's appearance, I do not think there should be any warning of the threat. I think that his appearance should be sudden and entirely unexpected by everybody. In fact, so I think that Glaurung should first attack a group of elves who are out on the plains right riding on the plains or camping on the you know they're they're crossing the plains or something and they're they're camping in the night and then whoosh right suddenly the fire the rush the horror um uh yeah it will be the last time Arthel And Turgen see Fing- fingolfin alive yeah absolutely having a having a touching uh, farewell between Arathel and Fingolfin would be good. Anyway, so okay, so we could even do, in that way, we could even do a kind of a two stage reveal of Glaurung, right? Um, we just show first a party of elves doing something or other, right? Out on the plains, they're camping out on the plains, and something like you know it's dark right so all we see is like something like very large and fire breathing um descends upon them and destroys their camp right and like the camera is engulfed with flame and then we cut uh so he just appears and he starts overwhelming things um fingen um It's going to be Fingen who's going to push him back uh, with his with his cavalry and his archers. We could have three scenes, maybe, with. Related to Glaurung, I'm thinking, like, so the first one where, like, he, he, he comes that, we could have maybe a survivor from that first camp come stumbling in somewhere and warning them that, you know, a terror is at large on the plane. Um, or we could just, you know, show his, like, the suddenness of his ferocity, um, by having him, like, you know, set upon somebody by surprise and destroy them and then have his trail, um, that, uh. Uh, that like the trail of, you know, withered grass and stuff, uh, that is, uh, you know, a track all the way from Angband all the way down to the south. Right. Um, so we could have Fingon's people discovering his trail and then Fingin sets out and then we have, you know, and then we have the battle. Um. I, well, so yeah, Rihanna says, Fingon just got horses from the Theonorians in episode 10. Do we want to have some scenes in between then and now to show Fingon developing the cavalry? I don't think we need to, necessarily. Um, I mean, you can maybe show Fingon and his men on horseback, um, when Arthel comes to visit, you know? Uh, I mean, it would be easy enough to show a glimpse to, like, remind folks, like, hey, look, Fingon and his guys on horseback, right? Um, but I don't think we need to show, you know, like a cavalry training montage or something. Um, complete with, you know, funny scenes of them falling off their horses at the beginning and, you know, learning how to ride and that kind of thing. I mean, anyway, I, 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 I don't think we need to show the development in too much detail there. Um, again, a reminder couldn't hurt. So, Dave, what do you think of the battle? How should we do the fight between Fingen and Glaurung? On the one hand, the way that Fingen drives Glaurung back is a little bit non-heroic, right? I mean, they do this by riding swift horses which can stay at range uh, to Glaurung, surround him on all sides, and pepper him with arrows until he runs away, right? that's not the most, um, you know, climactic fight in the history of climactic fights.
0: Uh, I don't know, I, I I think it depends on how you depict it, right? Like, I'm imagining, I'm actually imagining in my mind, like, what would what could be an intensely, uh, an intense, like a, a, a real, a lot of tension. Mm hmm because because I think I think if it's executed properly, it could convey that like, this, this is this, they're doing this, like they're, they're on the edge of a knife that right. at any point, uh, um, if somebody falters, he could break through and then they're all dead. Or if, if you get a little too, and maybe, you know, we can show this, like if you ride a little bit too close, he's gonna set you alight light or, or reach over and grab you or something. So yeah, I, yeah. I think I think it could. I think you could convey, um, you know, not 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 a kind of, you know, uh, diving in head first kind of brutal right. Hero, right. heroic heroics, but but sort of like an incredibly well executed plan. That is like, that is like, only gonna work if you pull it off perfectly,
1: and would be really risky. I mean, you know, there can yes. be there can be people being like, you know, wait, you're riding towards him, like that's insane. Um, yeah, especially. You if, want me to do what? <laughs> right. Especially if their bows. I mean, their bows need to be short, like small. But they can't be like huge long bows. First of all, it's much harder to use a huge long bow from horseback. Um, uh, but secondly, because they they can't have a super long range on their bows, right? If the if the range on their bows is shorter. Um, then it makes it more dramatic because they have to come in... Oh, and, and Glaurung can be really fast, right? Um, uh, really quick to turn and, uh, uh, and you know, snap them. In. And also with a pretty decent range on his fire breath, too. Um, yep. So we should definitely... Sh- there should definitely be casualties among uh, Fingon's people. And... But the I think the biggest... The reason I'm imagining... The reason I'm wanting Glaurung to kill folks at the beginning uh, is for exactly as you're saying, Dave, I, 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 w- I want to show how like it is, it it is like bravery on the edge of madness to ride towards Glaurung, right? To, to be like, okay, let's, let's go get him. Right. Um, Somebody should be saying like surely we should you know like we're gonna need a bigger boat right I mean somebody is gonna be going you know I- insisting that like we send word back to Fingolfin and like let's rally the uh the armies and he couldn't you know even this monster wouldn't defeat us all and uh whatever and Fingen with his small band, I think there shouldn't be very many of them, maybe a dozen at most, yep um uh and instead he's like, no, we can't, because there should be some urgency. Like he's going to, he's already killed some people and he's, uh, you know, maybe he's bearing down on, um, you know, like somebody is unwisely having a, a festival in the next town over. And so Glaurung is due to show up and, uh, and, uh, Fingen is going to try to stop it happening. Um, so, so there's, you know, there's, there's definitely like the, the risking himself for the sake of, you know, like he's, they're not, they're not going to withdraw and do the, do the safe thing because it would put other people at risk. So they're going to risk themselves instead. And everybody thinks they're crazy. It could definitely be dramatic. It's, 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 it's going to be interesting to think about staging that though, because it is an unusual yep. kind of fight scene in that way. Yep. Um, Yeah. And at the beginning, and so, I mean, and I really think that it should be the first time. The reason I'm kind of thinking of that sort of partial reveal, right, of where he attacks somebody or, or a town even in the night, right, and destroys it. We even do him doing, you know, destroying a town like Smaug does. Um, not in a lake, obviously, but um, uh, but anyway. You know, he comes in by, so that we know there is something monstrous and we know it breathes fire, but that's really all that we know. We don't really see the whole creature. It shouldn't appear in daylight, you know, in the open in daylight until Fingen rides in and get so that the, you know, the sort of the shock of seeing it for the viewer kind of echoes the shock, you know, and amplifies, therefore, the, the effect on Fingon and his men who then decide to attack it anyway. Um, yeah. So do we juxtapose this? How aggressively do we juxtapose this with Galadriel and Celeborn's wedding?
0: Good question.
1: I think the wedding happens first. I certainly don't think, I don't think there's enough of a tie between these two events. For us to be doing like a super juxtaposition, right. You know, like a cutting back and forth between the battle and the wedding, um, as if they're happening at exactly the same moment. And, and, uh, that, you know, I, I don't think there's enough of a link between those two things. Right. Um, yeah, that feels forced to me. Um, but if we have the wedding first, we can begin the episode with the wedding. Um, and the wedding, of course, is all about reconciliation, right? This is the sort of the, the, really the final statement of reconciliation, uh, from our reconciliation themed season. Um, and there can be talk, uh, you know, and speeches in the, you know, in the context of the wedding and at the wedding about, you know, hope for the future and how, you know, if we come together, then, you know. Uh, nothing that Morgoth can throw at us can possibly prevail. And then, blah, monster! Next episode or next scene, right? Uh, Glaurung eating a village. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, so like that—that that works for me. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I'm I'm kind of wondering: is there any way to uh, crowbar in some? reconciliation into the Glaurung confrontation? Hmm.
1: Well, the major the primary reconciliation plot is between the Sindar and the noble. Right. That's the yep. dominant reconciliation thread. The secondary reconciliation thread is between the Phanorians and the Fingalfinians, right? Mm-hmm. So if there were to be any kind of reconciliation, it would have to be, um, it would have to be, um, with the Thaenorians. Which means we'd have to involve the Fanorians in this battle in some way. Now, Rhiannon points out that, uh, having them get married in this episode means it's been 50 years since they were engaged, which I think for elves counts as a whirlwind engagement, actually. Yeah. Um, there are probably people yep. who are thinking, and that's scandalous. Uh, and, yeah. uh, they're really rushing to <laughs> the altar here.
0: Yeah. Well, what? Um, there's people asking them, "What's the big hurry?" <laughs> What's the big hurry? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. What's the big hurry? Um. But uh, yeah, okay. So, <sighs> whether or not the Fanorians uh, yeah. are involved here, we have a we have a distinct lack of Fanorian presence in this episode anywhere. True. I would hate to take away from Fingon by having like Mithros come in and help him or something. Besides which, that's not the direction the Reconciliation should go. Um, the direction the Reconciliation needs to go is to show, um, you know, Fingolfin's people demonstrating that they are willing to move past things with the Feanorians, which means Could we shift the setting a little bit? What if it's a Feanorian village that gets destroyed? What if it's... What if Fingon and, and his people are coming to the rescue of the Feanorians? Oh, you know, I like it. Not of the Feanorian brothers themselves. But what if that's the direction that Glaurung has gone? So he doesn't just come straight south like an arrow. He... Comes out of the gate and he heads off to, you know, to the east. I like um, it. I mean, all it would all it would need would be like one of his companions to make some crack about, you know, uh, the you know, the followers of are deserving what, what, what they get, you know, to have thing And, of course, Fingon coming to help rescue Mithros again is uh, has the, our season ending where it began, right, in a sense. Um, but yeah, Rhiannon, that's exactly the struggle that I'm having, too. I like this concept except for, precisely as Rhiannon points out, why would the faenorians have an unprotected village between their fortresses and Angband? Um, yeah, I can't think they would either. Maybe it's not a village. Forget village. Maybe it's a maybe it's a, a a patrol. It's a patrol. So they come across like the corpses of a patrol. Um so uh yeah, it's a patrol out on the plains on their on the eastern part of the plains. Um and the monster who did it, you know, we can see tracks and we can see scorch marks and we see lots of corpses um uh the monster who clearly did this is headed off towards uh towards the fanorian lands right um so so yeah, there could be some temptation by at least one person in the party to you know leave them to deal with this right um they don't yeah. deserve our you know if uh little extra hardship comes the way of fan no harm done. You know, like, again, they deserve what they get. Um, why should we put ourselves at risk? There are only what, how many of us, seven of us, 12 of us, something like that. Right. 10 of us. Um, you know, why should we put ourselves at risk? Look, maybe it's more of, you know, the, the dead fan uh, on the field there could be numerous. They could be like 15 or 20 of them. Right. Um, and which makes it seem even more heroic than for Fingon and his band of, um, however many. Fingon could be on the way to visit Mithros. Why not? They're friends, right? That's why Fingon is out there. So Fingon is on his way to visit Mithros, and on the way to visit Mithros, he's like, wow, look, lots of corpses of a Feanorian patrol. Uh, something is afoot. And then he finds Glaurong and heroically chases him back. Um, so... A verbal confrontation between Fingen and one of his people. When they discover the corpses of the patrol and discover the evidence that Glaurung has been through there, um, would be yeah you know, that w- would give us the place for Fingen to be able to do a reconciliation speech, right, and about how they have to how they have to stick together. Um, yeah.
0: That and would... then you can juxtapose that with scenes of a wedding,
1: yeah, the Where wedding gu- we're panning together. over the wedding guests, and then we're panning over the smoking corpses in the field. <laughs> 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 what you're thinking yes <laughs> yeah i I'm happy just to give them a happy wedding <laughs> without necessarily directly juxtaposing Guoung in there um especially since. Once we're done with the wedding, we're kind of done with Doriath, which is, of course, I suppose, a good reason not to just put it at the beginning and never come back. Um, but if we have them leave, so we have them married at the begin near the beginning of the episode, maybe even at the very beginning of the episode. And then we have them go off on their, you know, their long, you know, 150 year long honeymoon, leaving Doriath at the end of the episode, going to visit his sister uh, in Osirian, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So that gives us an opportunity to return to uh, to to Thingol and Melian and, and Doriath one last time uh, before the end of the season. Um, what's the end of the episode? Where do, the the the, like the closing shot of the season finales have been pretty significant so far, right? We had right. the rising of the sun at the end of season three. We had the the combination of You know, Fanor holding his father's crown in his hand while Morgoth holds the Silmarils in his in his burning palm uh, right in uh, at the end of season two. Um, We had uh, 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 Manwe's tears right as the battle is being won um, in the uh, the war to begin all wars. In season one, Um, we need an iconic visual for the end of and, and of course, we did we did also tease uh, the awakening of men at the end of season three too. Um season three, as well, I should say. Um, we need an iconic visual for the end of season four.
0: Galadriel and Caliborn in their swan boat.
1: Okay. If we want to emphasize the reconciliation, We can, um, we could do Gladro and Kelborn pre, um, yeah, I don't know. Our previous ones have all, at least in part, looked towards the future, right? You're kind of supposed to do that at the end of the season. If we have Goadron right. and Teleborn sailing off into the distance, it looks like the series is over <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> uh, no one's people are going to be surprised when season five starts uh, if we do that. Um, I'm not saying we need a cliffhanger. I mean, we did a literal cliffhanger at the end of last season. I'm not yeah, saying we it will be hard to. to compete with that: It will be hard to compete with the cliffhanger, but um we don't necessarily need a cliffhanger, but something to point to what is going to be coming next in season five. So season two, the end of season two was Morgoth with Silmarils, Feanor with the crown, the parallel between the two of them showing like that Feanor is heading down a questionable path, right, was an apt teaser for season three. Um, The fact that uh, we were going to have that we were going to be involved with Feanor's leadership and and attempt to reclaim the Silmarils from uh, uh, from Morgoth, you know Uh that was that was foreshadowed right at the end of at the end of season two, the end of season three with the rising of the sun and the capture of Mithros. We have like, you know, well. A new day dawning in Beleriand, right, and the establishment of of a new world with the threat of Morgoth, and him, um, you know, with the 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 torture of of Mithros, right, showing like what he is uh, able to do and sort of threatening to do to the uh, to the elves, um, uh, We can Ooh, Riannon suggests the final vision be of men camped on the Eastern side of Arid Linden. Oh, yeah, men about to cross over. It's a good one. Yes. Um, If we're going to be looking forward to anything, I mean, so the two things to look forward to, right, the two things to tease about season five, right? I'm not saying the like, themes of season five, but the primary events of season five are going to be the arrival of men and the breaking of the siege, right? So the foreshadowing of destruction to come, which is supposed to be Glaurung. So, yeah, the foreshadowing of the of the destruction to come and the arrival of men. Certainly, certainly having uh, the end be a site of the camps of men and showing that they are about to that they're going to you know to, so that we are prepared for the arrival of men at the, in episode 1 of season 5 that's that's a very good connection yeah i like that um anything with morgoth anything angband related that we want to show I'm tempted, see, what I'm tempted to do is some kind of non-spoiling foreboding of the Dagor Bragalach. Right? Um, Fingon and his men on horseback staring because they will have pursued Glaurung almost to the gates of Angband. Right? Pretty much to the gates of Angband. Right? So they're standing outside the gates of Angband, looking up at Thangarodrim as Glaurung re-enters. Um, I would think that Glaurung would probably not just run into Angband with his tail between his legs. I'm thinking that Glaurung runs up to the gates and he would turn at the gates, right? Like, daring them to continue to chase him. Yeah, I like that. Which means we could have a final visual image of the gates of Angband with Glaurung standing in the gates, right? With his head sticking out of the gates of Angband. Um, and we could show fire behind them. Right. Like a couple Balrogs could be coming out, uh, or, you know, could be there behind, they wouldn't enter, right. They wouldn't come out in the field. Nobody has to die. Um, but just again, to show like the, the fiery wrath of Morgoth kind of building up behind the dam, that is the gates of Angband, right. With Glaurung standing in it at right. the forefront. Some kind of simple visual image like that could be very good. Cool. And then we, and then we, we cut from there to the camps of men. Would we have to be able to show where they are? You know, if we have Galadriel and Celeborn arriving in 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 Osirian, we could then pull back and cross over the mountains, right, which are right now, right there, and see the men mm. on the other side of the mountains. Yes, there we go. So instead of having them leave Doriath, it. we see them arriving in Assyrian. Because if we just show the camps of men, I mean, we ended season three threatening to show men and then we never did. <laughs> right. We showed the men. away, <laughs> And then now I, like we, we know that there's something out there. Right. I mean, we've 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 heard about this, but um, but they've never actually appeared. So if we just show a camp of men and nobody has any idea where it is or knows for sure that it's close uh, to Valerian, then, you know, people might just be like you know, fool me twice, shame on me, you know? Um, yeah. Okay. I think that those two things work. I think those two things work. The gates of Angban with the, with the, just like the glow of fire behind Glaurung, right? As he stands there with his glowing eyes, growling at them from the gates, uh, uh you know, and they, and then like the shot, they can look tiny and pitiful, you know, like, like the bunch of them now, like worn and singed and dirty. Right, and, and exhausted, on their exhausted horses, as they, just the small clump handful of them right before the huge walls and gates of Angband, um, would be kind of a cool visual, I think.
0: Yep, yep, I agree.
1: Okay. And also, Marie, thinking of your suggestion before, would also be a nice. The memory of that moment, right, is like this is one of the things that changes fingen's mind, right? Uh, you know, he was supporting his dad with the whole like we're 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 fine with the siege thing. Maybe his mind is changed uh, by this event. Um, yeah, yeah, um, good. Yeah, no, and and I I think we cut it there. I mean, like we know he's going to get back home, but uh, we don't have to show him leaving. Uh, we just we just leave it them with them staring up like you know, in, uh, some terror at Glaurung and the gates and the walls and the fire and yeah. Um, do we want a Valinor scene? Olmo, Olmo returning to Valinor and discussing his plans and interventions. Do we, we had talked about that possibility of Olmo going back and people being like, dude, what's your plan? What are you doing here? And him being like, Hey, you know, I don't care. I'm going to be involved. I've got a plan. Um, do we want to have that scene here? I'm tempted to push it back until next season. But if we want to follow up directly with him explaining what his plan is, I don't know that we need him to explain what his plan is. Again, we we, we had debated the possibility of doing a Valinor scene and people questioning. Omo. I'm not feeling like it fits into this episode, though. I think if it happens, it would need to happen in Episode 12.
0: What if yeah I was gonna say if you wanted to do something with it here um maybe what you do is uh is in in our like in the kind of end of end of season montage of Mm -hmm. suggestive shots right maybe you have a suggestive shot of Almo um returning to uh Valinor right and like and like there's a handful of the other Valar who are kind of looking around at him disapprovingly or, or sternly or whatever. Right. So, yeah. so you're teeing up like the confrontation or the, whatever the d- debate discussion, et cetera, um, for next season, but, but it isn't, doesn't happen here.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think if it happens, I think it should happen in episode 12. Um, if it, if we punt it to next season, there has to be a function for it in that season. But this is really the season where we see almost plans coming about, right? I mean, the next phase of almost plans really aren't going to come about until uh, you know Turin and Tour are wandering around. So it's going to be a few seasons before almost plans come to ripeness. So. Yeah, I think if it happens, it has to happen in this season. And I think if it happens in this season, it should happen in episode twelve. Um, and yes, Rihanna and I agree. Showing the Valar, showing Valinor near the arrival of Men would detract from the Men's claim that, that the Valar don't care about them. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yes, yes, no, you're you're right. That is a good reason not to be showing Valinor and what's going on in Valinor. Um, While the men are saying things like that, we don't want to then cut to Valinor where we're showing the Valar really caring about what happens to them, right? Um, That would uh, not be effective, I think. Um, Yeah. Um, Oh, interesting. Rihanna is suggesting what if Olmo talks to Melian, not to the other Valar? (laughs) Hmm. That is a really interesting idea. Hard thing is like, I mean, I could see the two of them like getting together for tea at some point because both of them are invested in middle earth, right? So they have that in common. Um, she would probably know that he is up to something, right? But he's not going to tell her the plan is he? I mean, I don't think he's going to tell her the plan, you know, like the gondolin Turgon plan. And anyway, I think the purpose of the conversation was for him to be meeting resistance, right? Or to sort of show how he is kind of going rogue here. Um and how many Maybe we can just have a don't approve of intervening yet.
0: Maybe we can just have a uh like a vague discussion with Melian or he he where she just says something like, well, I hope you know what you're doing.
1: <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. I'm not sure what that conversation would accomplish in the end. Whereas yeah, him going, going back clear. to Valinor and it would accomplish our showing the about val- like the state of like, what is the state of things in Valinor? What is the state of public opinion in Valinor about the things going on in Beleriand, right? Um, that's what would be accomplished by having him go back to Valinor and, uh, meet some resistance and some support. Um, but right. yeah, I say maybe, maybe, we, uh, maybe we, by which I mean, our script writers see if they can find a way to, uh, shoehorn that thing into episode 12. Um, yeah. Okay. Hey, I think, that's pretty good for episode three. Oh, uh, I'm on Ethier. I forgot to, oops. I forgot to mention that. Um, so I'm on Ethier, uh, built after news of Glaurung. I kind of like that. So we do need to visit Finrod. So we need to show the Gondolin Drum and Turgon, you know, Turgon sealing the gates, right. And closing off the hidden way, uh, is like a good way to end the Gondolin story. Right. And then like he turns around and, um, Idril's there looking happy and, And, uh, you know, Glorfindel and Ecthelion looking satisfied and, uh, looking like 75% okay with what's happening. Right. Um, uh, maybe a little trepidation as the doors are locked. Right. Um, Finrod is there in Nargothrond, but the thing that we show Finrod doing, um, Finrod standing upon Amon Ethier. So Amon Ethier is the hill near Nargothrond, which was uh, used as a lookout post by, uh, uh, by the Elves of Nargothrond, right? It is also the hill on the top of which Glaurung meets Nienor and enchants Nienor. So when the Elves, when, remember, Mablung comes with Nienor uh, uh, and, you know, others, they stay, they, they go there first to look out over the land, right? They go to the lookout hill, uh, to survey the whole valley. Um, and he leaves Neanor there and then Glaurung goes up there. Um, so, um, this is going to be the hill where like Glaurung is going to perform one of his most horrible deeds. Right. And so for him, you know, for, for, for them to kind of establish uh showing Finrod looking out from Amonethir and look and surveying his new realm, right? Um juxtaposing that with Glaurung, I think would be kind of cool, actually. Um I don't know how we want to handle that, how much dialogue we want to give here, have you know Finrod be looking out and saying, like, you know, this is an ideal watch post we, we you know we must guard to make sure that nothing creeps upon uh, uh Nargothrond at unaware's cut to glaurung right um uh because of course you know with the foreshadowing for glaurung and Nargothrond and the foreshadowing <coughs> even of glaurung and amonethir i think that could work pretty well yeah okay yeah no i think we I think we covered it. So Rogren doesn't need to escape now. Rog can, uh, can stay. I think we, I think we get Rog out next season. Um, I think we need, we need to make sure that his escape performs a job and I don't think we have a job to do. At least I don't want him to do that job. I want the, I want the, the threat of Glaurung to be discovered violently and unexpectedly, not with any warning. Um, so we'll figure out a job for Rog to do while escaping next time. Or for Rog's escape to accomplish. Okay. Cool. Done. Nice. Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, so moving forward, uh, we are now officially entering into the um, uh, the the post-production phase of season four. Uh, so our next episode will be on Thursday, October 3rd. And we have indeed finished discussing the final episode. Uh, so we're going to go into the postseason, which means, so when we're in the post-production portion of the season, um, we're going to be reviewing the work that people have done over the course of the season, things that we've talked about. So we're going to be looking, of course, at the the, the, the scripts that uh, folks have been working. Because the rumor is, in previous years, for the first three seasons, we've had script outlines, right, working through sort of mocking up what the episodes would look like in much more concrete terms than we uh, talked about in the episodes. The rumor on the street is that there are actual scripts written this year for season four. Uh, So that is pretty exciting. Um, So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be looking at uh, artwork, set designs, maps, location photos. Of course, we'll be talking about uh, casting. You guys will be suggest you'll be voting on casting, nominating, and voting on casting. Um, and of course, uh, music, uh, Phil's music as well. So all these things we're going to be talking about. Which means if you've been thinking or or, or working on something, definitely submit it uh, in the coming weeks so we can include it in our discussions here at the end. Um, the next thing we will do is the scripts, uh, the script reviews. Um, uh, here on this page is a link uh, to the scripts. Of course, you can find those on the uh, uh, the discussion boards. Um, and if you would still like to participate in the script discussions for the end of the season, uh, the script discussion for episode 11 uh, will be on Friday night, September 27th. So it's next Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. You can participate in that. And I look forward to discussing the first few scripts in our next episode. I believe that's what we'll be doing on October 3rd, uh, on our next meeting. So, um, uh, so that's good. And we should be wrapped up with season four by early in the new year is the plan. Uh, and then off to season five and the arrival of men. So that'll be exciting. Um, all right. It's going to be great. Yeah. So, uh, thanks everyone for joining us tonight and we will see you guys soon for our script reviews. So thanks for listening. Godspeed.